0: God's purpose for the Sabbath was we put all these hang-ups on worshiping God we have a lot of strings we like to attach right we we attach strings that say you got to look this way when you do it you got to you got to stand up and raise your hands or you got to sit down and not move or whatever things we may attach to it in God's word the purpose behind his Sabbath was to be a delight for men it was to be a delight for men and an opportunity uh, for man to commune with God. And it wasn't intended as a burden, a hardship, a difficulty. It was intended to, to uh, give man that opportunity that he can draw near to his Lord. So he begins with this simple phrase. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Again, we have capital L-O-R-D, right? So we're looking at the proper name of God. So it is good to give thanks to Jehovah. It is good to give thanks to Yahweh. It is a good thing. (laughs) It is something that is necessary in our lives to learn to be men and women who are able to give thanks to God. To express to God our pleasure in Him. Now here sometimes the Bible tells us to rejoice always, right? And again I say rejoice. The Bible tells us to rejoice in all things. And when we talk about that, when we look at that, that concept, here's what we wrestle with sometimes. We look at the experience in our life, and we're trying to figure out, how do I have joy in this experience? But the Bible didn't say to have joy in your misery. The Bible said you can always have joy in the Lord. There is always something to rejoice, to be uh, overjoyed about when we consider the Lord. If we'll spend time just considering who He is, what He's like, what He's done, uh, His majesty, His beauty... I know for, I don't remember how long ago, Susie would call me just about every morning, uh, like I used to say before God gets up, but you guys know God's always up, right? So, super early in the morning, she'd be out on her patio looking at the stars. And she'd be telling me, Oh, you've got to see the stars. So amazing, God's creation. That's the point of being able to rejoice, that's the point of being able to, to uh, exclaim our thankfulness to God. In his creation, in his attributes. Aren't you thankful that God is love? Aren't you thankful for the goodness of God? And so it's not that I gotta figure out how in this little this little matter of misery in my life am I gonna extract from that joy. It's that I got this misery going on, but I can rejoice in the Lord. Because He's good, His mercy endures forever, right? So we can Always have that opportunity to give thanks. There's three things specifically he's going to call us to through this celebration, if you will, of the Sabbath. The first one is that attitude to give thanks. Giving thanks will change what's going on inside of us. You ever notice if you focus on how bad you feel, how lousy things are that that doesn't tend to help? Are you the one person that helps it don't help me. And I, I notice, have you ever just woke up on the wrong side of bed? Nobody? I wake up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes. Where's cat? Huh, babe? Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to refrain from making any comments about that. <laughs> I was, it's really hard, though, to not, just so you know. that The point is, when I wake up on the wrong side of bed, I'm in a bad mood or bad, i got a bad attitude about whatever, just woke up that way. You know, if I'll stop and focus on the Lord and just take the moment to give thanks, it changes my attitude for the day. But more often than not, I am enjoying my misery, and so I just want to park in it for a while. Yeah? So the Bible tells us it's good to give thanks, it's good to make that expression. The second thing, and to sing praises. To your name, O Most High. Now I want you to think about this, because if you ever want to know, you know, the Bible challenges with the concept of knowing God. Right? We can. The, it's kind of mind-boggling because you have, in essence, um, the opportunity to know the unknowable God, to in some way comprehend the incomprehensible, to to begin to recognize the the majesty and the transcendence of God, this bigness of God. But how is it that we can know that? Because, because he reveals it to us. So when it says you can sing praises. We can sing praises to his name. Do you know how many places where God is, is expressing something about his character and nature through the names that he uses about himself? I mean, just think of some of the ones where he uses nature, like a lion. And we, we, you ever sit down and think about what it is that God's trying to express when he says, like a lion. Or, or what he's laying out for us when he tells us, uh, he, he gives a description like a lamb. What are the attributes or the characteristics that we can see? So when he says you can sing praises to his name, there's so many names. We work our way. I got a poster in my office, all the names of God. It's a big poster. Lots of names. What do every one of those names do? They describe to me what God's like. So I can sing praises. This the same concept that I can sing praises to the names of God, which describe for me his attributes, what he's like, what, 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 is, what, what is important to him, all those things we see in those descriptive phrases. So I can have opportunity to do that. And I've shared with you before, C.S. Lewis challenges us all because he says that whatever a man loves, he praises. And if you think about it, it's true, right? If you love Chevy trucks, man, you never—you always got a reason to talk good about Chevy. That will not ever be me, just so you know. I don't know if I have any anything of that nature that I haven't broke. So, <laughs> just don't loan me your car. The or maybe you're into a particular football team, right? That can do no wrong. Uh, Brian, you guys know Brian Bridwell plays drums for us on Sunday morning. He's a San Diego Chargers fan. He still wears the shirt. What's wrong with that guy? <laughs> I don't know if he's paying attention to the games at all. But it's they're being brutalized. I mean, why in the world would you ever wanna wanna you know claim San Diego Chargers? Well, he loves them. He loves them, so he prays them. Oh, somebody did not just say Cowboys. I have a, a Jersey Cowboy. Abruptly. You can be. You can be forgiven for that, but you're (laughs) going to... But the point, when we look at it is, when you love something, what do you do? Praise it. And so, if we really do the one thing God's asking of us, is to do what? Love the Lord our God with how much of us? All of us. So, all our heart, right? The emotional center, all of our, what else? Mind. Mind. Right? So our our intellect, loving God with our intellect. What else do you want us to love him with? Our soul, that's a picture of life, the, the fullness of our life. And then Jesus adds another, what's he add? Strength, right? So everything, the concept of it all, every aspect of me, I want to learn to express love to God. And one of the ways I can do that is to praise him. If I praise him. So two things he's calling us to In the Sabbath, right? To give thanks to the Lord. It's good to give thanks. And then he links it with another one, what? To sing praises. To sing praises. To glorify the Lord in worship. And then we have the third thing. Look at it. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. So he's calling us literally to declare his love. Declares love. Remember, I told you the phrasing for loving kindness or tender mercy in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, is a Hebrew word chesed, c h e s e d. The the for me the simplest way to define chesed is like saying that is the uh, agape of the Hebrew. You guys know agape, self sacrificing love, a love that Christ calls us to, described in First Corinthians thirteen, right? So that is what chesed is, self-sacrificing. It's a love of God, the kind of of love that God expresses. So he says, it is good to give thanks, right? That can help change our attitude, get our eyes focused in the right place, to sing praises to God, because whatever we love, we praise, and then to declare his loving kindness and his faithfulness. Both of those words are descriptive of the Hebrew word chesed. Faithfulness isn't that what you think about? If you think, does anybody want an unfaithful husband or wife? Oh, shocking! So faithfulness speaks to love, right? That that someone is faithful, true, and their loving kindness, the tender mercy, the expression or outpouring of that self sacrificing love in life. So he's asking us: the Sabbath is a day of blessing to give thanks to the the Lord, to sing praises, and to, to to declare. His nature, part of his nature being his love, right? They will know you are my disciples, how? By the way you love each other, right? By, the, by your expression of love. And then he says, on an instrument of ten strings, <clears throat> on the lute, on the harp, and with harmonious sound. Now the point that he's making in verse 3 is, it's okay to do it with music. Right? The Bible even talks about drums. Church I grew up in, you played drums in that church, you went straight to hell. I remember one time, I don't know what happened, but they brought in a a band, Christian rock band. They had an electric guitar up there and drums. And I thought the pastor done lost his mind, man. One time, me and Kathy, we're kids. There's enough people our age around here. So it's... What was it in the 80s? Must have been in the 80s. You guys remember Striper? Yep. So Striper, Striper comes to um, Calvary Chapel, Redlands, and we were standing on the pews. And they were pl- just wailing and playing and beating on the drums. And then, you know, rock bands used to throw picks or, or drumsticks out into the crowd. They'd throw Bibles. Man, I was like, wow, this is really different. What's God's word telling us? We can praise him on an instrument with 10 strings, on an instrument with 20 strings, on a lute, on a drum. You can praise God in every aspect of your life with whatever you have. That's why the Bible says that we make a joyful noise, right? We make a joyful noise. And it's, a, it's that desire to make that expression to God, to praise him. And we, we don't have to be uh, held back. We don't have to be held back, right? Some people don't have a great singing voice. You guys ever known people like that? But you know what? It's not that big a deal. The Bible says it's harmonious. So uh, trust me, no matter how bad you think you sing, it's a harmony somewhere. So let it go. We had this girl in youth group. What was her name, baby? Which, huh? Holly? Holly? You're not gonna give me the last name? I just had to know what era we were talking about. Yeah, that's the era. So we were re we were back in the 80s, so we're talking about you were you pastor. Yes. Pauline. Yes. But you don't remember her last name. I do, but I'm not gonna say it up because you're on audio. You're oh, come on. So she works at uh she works at Calvary Chapel Bible College now. <laughs> and uh so I guess it's possible. I doubt she's listening, but you know. Blair. Who knows? <clears throat> but anyways, she was the absolute worst singer I ever heard in my life. Wow. Absolute worst singer wow. on earth. But you know what? What I loved about Holly is when we were praising God, she didn't care. She just sang. She just and it was a crack up because there was like we used to call them the beautiful, the beautiful children, beautiful girls. There was like four group, real popular girls from high school that were all part of youth group, which made our youth group really big because every guy in high school was coming to youth group. So these they'd all stand together and they're singing, you know, and every once in a while one of the girls would lean over to Holly and go, a little quieter. <laughs> Just a little. But you know what? She'd take it literal, a little. But she had all this praise in her heart. And it, the hang up is not... Do I sound good enough to everybody else's ears? Who are you praising for? Right? Am I praising so that other mankind will give me praise? That's not my goal. What's my goal? To glorify and honor the Lord. And that's where she was. I loved it. I loved that that was her heart. And so when the Bible tells us with, with harmonies, harmonious, it says sometimes we're just in different keys in our head, but It's okay. It's okay. We want to be able to express our love for God that way. And then in verse 4, the why. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will triumph in the works of your hands. So God, you made me glad by your works. And when the Bible talks about God's works, especially when it uses phrases like wondrous or marvelous works, it's always talking about God's salvific work, God's work of salvation, how God how God moves and works and, and transforming lives, and so He's He's laying out. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna glorify You. I'm gonna sing because You make me glad. Because the God, the transcendent God, bigger than everything, just mind boggling, wants to know me, and He wants me to know Him. So He reveals Himself to me and gives me the opportunity to have this relationship with him so i will triumph in the works of your hands how do we ever gain victory is it because of our own might our own power our own ability is it because of our own prettiness or is it because of god's works god's working we get the victory but it's because god's working it's because his he's the mover we're the we're the tool right he's the builder you see builders can build incredible things beautiful things but um You know what? We don't praise the hammer or the nail. We praise the one who built it. And that's God. In in this instance, what we're looking at is God. Oh, Lord, how great are your works. And your thoughts are very deep. In Isaiah 55, you guys should uh, read that as much as you can. Isaiah 55 talks about the concept of God's thoughts being different than ours. Right? Everybody familiar with it? His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are different than our ways, right? Sometimes we say it like this. Uh, the, how do we say it? The Lord's, something about mysterious. Somebody help me out. God's ways are mysterious. Help me.
1: Come on, one of you guys knows.
0: Huh? Yeah, he worked. That's it. Thanks. Somebody had to help me. So we say sometimes, right, that concept, God works in mysterious ways. What do we mean by that? That it, it was different than how I'd have done it, right? I'd have done it this way, God did it that way, he got it done, I might have done that different. I mean, ultimately, that's what we mean when we say God works in mysterious ways. But what's he, what God tells on Isaiah 55 is that his ways are higher, they're better. We can't comprehend how he's moving and how he's working, but we can trust him, right? And if you look at that entire chapter, Isaiah 55 is an amazing, amazing chapter about exactly what he's talking about here, the works of God. The works of God, God's ability to transform and change our lives. He says now in verse 6, he's going to talk a little bit about a fool. A senseless man does not know. Now, what does he mean? Think about it. What's a senseless man? A senseless man, somebody who can't feel. So if I touch something, I can't feel it. My, my, the, my smell doesn't work, so I can't smell it. My taste doesn't work, I can't taste it. You get what I'm saying? I can't hear. So, so I, uh, even so far as I can't see. If you take the senses away from a man, the ability that a man has to grow or to understand, his ability to know is taken away, right? If you ask a blind man, what is blue? Can he describe it for you? Because he has, he doesn't know, right? His, he is senseless. He's not able to experience that. So it begins with this concept. The senseless man... Does not know. But then, remember, whenever we look at at parables, you got a little parabolic statement here, which is going to rhyme thought. And one thought is, a guy who has no senses, he doesn't know. But what's the guy compared to? Nor does a fool understand this. Now, there's Bible, a fool is different than a senseless man. A fool is different. Jesus kind of defines it for us. You guys remember the story when Jesus said, that, uh, a wise man builds his house, where? wise man builds his house on a rock. Remember Sunday school we sang songs like that? Uh, the wise man builds his house on a rock. Where's the fool build his? In the sand. Now what made the man a fool? He knew better. Right? Does a builder know he shouldn't build in, in sand? A fool is somebody who knows the truth but rejects the truth. Think about this. A fool has said in his heart what? There is no God. It doesn't say that the that there, the fool is right in his assumption that there is no God. He's a fool. Why? Because he knows different. He knows there's a God, but he says in his heart, there is no God. He rejects truth. Truth is handed. He rejects truth. He He knows I should build on the rock, but he builds in the sand. Right? The rock is a firm foundation. The rock is a symbol of who? Jesus Christ, right? We want to build our life on the rock. So Jesus, when he talks about it, wise man builds his house on a rock. A fool rejects it. A fool says, I'm a, I'll be fine in the sand. And then what's, this, what's the story tell So wind blows, the storm comes. What happens to the house on the sand? He knocks it down. It won't stand. It won't stand. So when the Bible talks about a fool, the rhyme is a senseless man, a man who can't perceive, who can't understand. Well, he doesn't know. But a fool... A fool A fool's different. A fool won't even understand that. A fool will take the truth of how a senseless man can't know things and he'll mess that up. Because truth is not something that's important to a fool. To a fool, it's just me or my want or my need or my desire. It's not about truth. It's not about whether or not something is actual. So look at verse 7. He says, so when the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. So in verse 7 he says, look, the, the, here's the foolishness, they come up like grass, life is short. What's he talking about? That the the life is temporal, it's not permanent. So you have a life that, that begins, it's going to go, it's going to end at some point, right? Everybody's... Everybody's got a a born-on date and an end-on date. When the end-on date comes, it's over. That's it. And when he talks about the wicked, he says, this is a person who has rejected uh, uh, salvation, rejected relationship with the Lord. His life is short, and he lives with nothing to look forward to but destruction. It's just just, here today, gone tomorrow, and then judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, Of the living God, especially the living God that you didn't believe existed. But he says in verse 8, look at the little word but. The little word but means in sharp contrast, different from the wicked, here today, gone tomorrow. But you, O Lord, are on high for how long? Forevermore. The Bible teaches over and over again that man is temporal, God is eternal. God is forever. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth, right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that moment, there was no time, yet God existed. Before there was a beginning, God already was. He is eternal. He is, we like to say the phrase, outside of time. But the idea is, God's relationship to time is different because he created it. Right When the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, it means everything. Everything we experience, time, uh, space, matter, all of that was created by God, Genesis 1.1. God is transcendent, over, above, beyond, all of that. So he says, well, you are on high. The idea of being on high, you are above, you are transcendent, you are over, forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish, all the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Now listen to what we see when we talk about God and what God's like. You and I, we often focus on his love, right, his grace, his mercy. But you know one of the attributes of God is wrath. It is impossible for God to be loved without God being wrath. Because anything that is not love or that is unloving must abide under the wrath of God. There are several things that the Bible tells us the wrath of God is upon. The wrath of God is upon the children of disobedience. That when people are not in a relationship with Christ, they don't have salvation with God, they're not under the spout where the blessing comes out. They're under wrath. Now God in His mercy... And loving kindness and long suffering may withhold His wrath. Right? God does. Does God have to pour out His wrath? Eventually, He does, but not immediately. Right? If God poured out His wrath immediately, none of us would have made it. So God can hold His wrath. He can be long suffering. We looked at the Canaanites. Remember, we talked about them last week. We talked about the idea that God told. Abraham that his people were going to be slaves for 400 years because God was going to wait to kick the Canaanites out of the land because their sin hadn't reached its zenith. He said the fullness of the iniquity of the Canaanites, is not full. So you're going to go into bondage, you're going to grow, become a nation during your persecution. I'm going to bring you out a nation, I'm going to send you in a family, I'm going to bring you out a nation and then I'm going to take you to the land because right now the sin's not full, the iniquity's not full. That's God's uh, long-suffering. But eventually, did his wrath come? It came on the Canaanites. God said, you're out. You're in. So, we have that attribute. He's saying right here, he's pointing to the wicked, the enemies of God. And on the enemies of God, there's a judgment day one day, isn't there? The Bible tells us in, in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. Yeah? And remember John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave, right? His only unique son, only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on to tell us, and this is condemnation, right? That men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Is there a day, judgment day come? Is there a day condemnation will come absolutely the bible is full of that it's full of making good use of your time redeeming your time for the days are evil right redeeming the time so that you can have the relationship you need to have with god now and so god reminds you life's not eternal it's temporal you're a dot on the line how long that dot's going to last we don't know that's why he says today is the day of salvation, right? Make your relationship with God right now. Have that right relationship with him in this place for right now. For all of the workers of iniquity, they're going to be scattered. The enemies will perish. God's going to deal with it all. In verse 10, different than those, see the word but again, In in, uh, in contrast to all those enemies of God, my horn, so now the writer, The writer of this psalm saying, my horn, or the power that he has, you have exalted. Now, he's personally talking to God. So he's talking about how good it is to praise God, that life is temporary. We want to have a relationship with God now. If you live our lives wicked, we're going to find ourselves under wrath and under God's judgment. And then he looks at himself and he says, but my power, my strength is exalted by you. God's given it to him. God gives us. The the things that we need to overcome. So you have been exalted like a wild ox. You ever seen a a bull just out in the wild? When we were kids, well, I, I say when I was kids. Okay, so when I was in the Marine Corps, I was still a kid then. We went to Mississippi and a guy I was in the Marine Corps with, they raised Brahma bulls. And back in those days, I thought Brahma bulls were about the baddest animal I had ever seen in my life. And this kid from Mississippi, his name was Holder. We called each other by last names. I don't even remember first names, but his name was Holder. So Holder, we we were looking at him, and we were trying to get him to chase us because in the Marine Corps, you're not the brightest bulb in the bunch. So you want to be chased by bulls, and we're riling them up, and then we run and jump in the back of a pickup truck. Because they catch you if you don't. And speed away so they can't get us. And then we go back to messing with them. Well, Holder walk up to this Brahma bull and put his fingers in, the, in its nose. And bang its head up and down like this. And that bull's head go up and down. And then all of a sudden its nostrils will go, flare up. And it stopped doing that. You know, its head didn't move anymore. And that was the sign to run and get in the truck. Cause the Brahma bull was coming. When you consider, when I look at the picture and I see, you have exalted my power, that's what I see. Wild ox doesn't mean much to me. I, there's not many oxen around. But that, when that Brahma bull was coming, that was power, brother. That was power. I watched Ronnie Jones getting a bunch of cattle off of grassy, grassy hills and bringing it in. And the cattle, the, the cows, they're just following each other. But then come this bull. Now, the the bull's like 2,000 pounds and solid meat and crazy-looking eyeballs. And it looked like it was not going to follow the crew. It was not necessarily going to follow all them cows. You know, like guys, sometimes we think, why do I want to go where they're going? I might want to go where I want to go. So the bull's got this little look in his eye like he's not going to do that. And Ronnie Jones, all 110 pounds of him, jumps in front of this 2,000-pound bull and waves his arms like this. And I'm pretty sure this is the last time I'm ever going to see Ronnie Jones. Is it. That bull knows it just, you're not even going to feel that. But you know, the bull just turned and went. There's so much power. I see so much power in that when the psalmist is saying, man, I have power like that bull. You ask anybody, if that bull don't want in there, he don't go in there. If you don't want in the truck, I don't care what you do. He ain't going in the truck. What you you might accomplish is make him mad enough to hurt you. That's power. He's saying, he's describing the power that he has in his life, the power expressed in his life through his relationship with God, is there because God has given it to him. So I just want you to see that picture of the power that God has. And he says, I have been anointed with fresh oil. That fresh oil is, he's saying, "I, I have a new anointing. I have a new anointing. You know that God wants to provide a new anointing every morning? He doesn't want us running around on old anointings. What do I mean? You know, sometimes people spend a lot of time talking about how good they were. But there's not a whole lot about how good they are. There's the things God's done in the past. But there's not something going on currently. You get what I mean? God wants to, he wants to give that new, that fresh anointing. Every morning when we get up, it says His mercies are new every day. Is is there a purpose? When God woke us up this morning, was there a purpose, an opportunity to share the gospel, a chance to affect somebody's life, a chance to express the love of God somewhere in some way? Sure, that's why He woke us up. There's a fresh anointing. All we have to do is walk in it. And that's what He's saying. I have this power from God. I have this new anointing, this fresh oil that is upon me. And He says, my eye... Has also seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. What's he saying? I'm going to have victory today. I'm going to have victory. You guys know that In the writer of Hebrews tells us that for every one of us, we have a sin that so easily ensnares us. It's not the same for everybody, right? So when we look at the Psalms, the psalmist, he's probably writing about real enemies. But when I read the Psalms, I'm thinking about the spiritual enemies i got to do battle with. My sin, my struggles. And he's saying, man, I wake up this morning, I feel the power that God's given me. I feel the fresh anointing that God's got a purpose for my day. And my eyes are going to see me have victory over my enemies. I'm going to have victory over that sin that so easily ensnares. I'm going to hear the defeat. I'm going to hear that defeated in my life. That's the attitude that he's rising up and, and serving the Lord with. He says in verse 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Now, whenever the Bible wanted to talk about something straight, it talked about palm tree. We don't got a lot of palm trees in Idaho. Where I come from I had a lot of palm trees. That Palm Springs had a lot of palm trees. And one of the things, they're tall. And relatively straight. Compared to other trees with branches, super straight. But when the Bible wants to talk about that, it's talking about they shall flourish. So it will grow or spring up like a palm tree, straight, straight, going right to the Lord, straight to God. That's the picture that he's laying out for us. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, when the Bible doesn't want to talk about straight, what's it want to talk about when it uses cedar? Strong. So you're going to be straight, you know, going straight to God, walking with Him, following Him, and you're going to have strength like a cedar. That's the picture that He's given us. They're going to grow tall and straight, and they're going to have strength. In verse 13, He says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. Now, the Bible has a concept that is this, bloom where you're planted, So look at the picture. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, that's where they bloom. They flourish in the courts of our God. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They bloom in the courts of God. We bloom where we're planted. Now, is God able to transplant? Sure he is. God takes, moves people all the time. But wherever he puts you, what's God's purpose in in that move? Or what's God's purpose in planting you there? Bear fruit. Grow. Flourish. Flourish. Be a blessing in that place, wherever God has you. In fact, in verse 14, he says, they shall still bear fruit in old age. What's well, good news for us older fellows. They will still bear fruit in old age. The older I get, the more I look at, at Moses and think, I'm doing all right. You know, Moses was 80 before God was using him. I'm not sure I'm going to get to that point. So I needed that to happen a little bit earlier. He says, if you're if you're this, if you're seeking God, you're raising up, you're recognizing the power that God has in your life, the fresh anointing that God has upon you, the reality that he wants to give you victory over your enemies, and he wants you to walk in that victory. You want to flourish, grow straight and tall like a like a palm tree, you want to be strong, like the cedar, then wherever God plants you, you're gonna bear forth fruit doesn't matter how old, how young, no matter what, he says, look at the end of verse 14. Uh, they shall be fresh and flourishing. He's talking about the old. They'll be fresh and flourishing. There's no end. God, God expects us to do business till he come. There's no retirement from the plan of God. The plans and purpose of God, he'll use us forever. Huh, John? He's pretty close to using you forever right now. <laughs> every once in a while i got to take a shot at John just to make sure he's still with us. <clears throat> Verse 15. For, here's the purpose. To declare, what the, uh, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Now think about it. Remember I told you, every time God uses terms to describe himself, what's he doing for us? He's helping us to be able to relate, right? Because we understand what a rock is. When, he's, when, when the Bible uses the term rock, it's not one of them things you can throw. The concept in the Hebrew for rock is like, picture the rock of Gibraltar. What happens to it? Well, it don't move. It's still standing, right? Waves, whatever can beat on it, but it's still there. You can still go see it. It's that stability, that strength. The Lord is my rock. He's my strength, He's my stability. He's upright. And when it says there's no darkness in him, what's that mean? Yeah, that's pretty simple, right? There's no darkness. There's nothing in God. There's There's no evil, weird, twisted corners like there is in you and me. God is upright, straight, perfect. He's perfect. And we can... Know it. We can hold on to Him. There is absolutely no darkness, no shadow of turning in the Lord. Then in Psalm 93, good news is we only have four minutes left, and you're thinking you're crazy, but it's only five verses, so we'll be okay. Psalm 93, now he's talking about the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Look, it says, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded Himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. So we begin with the concept that God reigns supreme. That he is sovereign. That he is over it all. And the word used, capital L-O-R-D, what are we talking about? Proper name of God, right? Yahweh, Jehovah, God Almighty, he reigns. He's a king. He's a king. He's clothed in majesty. Think about it. Every time God uses... Phrasing to describe himself, there's something about his character he's trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you something about himself. He's clothed in majesty. He's sovereign. He reigns. Think of the relationship of the king with his people. And this is the picture that God is painting. He says, he has girded himself with strength. So he's strong. He's king of the whole world. And surely the world is established so it can't be moved. So God's in control, right? He's got the whole world. We sing a song. they got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got it. All of it. His hands are on it. It's not out of control. He says, your throne is established from of old. You are everlasting. So you have not only the picture of king, But now you have the picture of the eternal king. He's the king forever. He was always the king. He will always be the king. He is from of old. That's a a Hebrew idiom that means going as far back as you can till you can't remember anymore, and then a little bit past that, just so you can emphasize the idea of forever. As far back as I can remember and Further. So from of old, and then just in case you don't get it, from everlasting. From, meaning he springs forth out of eternity. He springs forth outside of our concept of time. He is the absolute king. But what about when things go wrong? Look at verse 3 and 4. What about when things go wrong? The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. So here comes the storm, right? The waves are beating, the wind is howling, the seas making all this crazy noise. Anytime the children of Israel wanted to describe something super uh, f- uh, frightening in their existence, they talked about the sea, the open sea because they are not a seafaring people. When they have a storm on the Sea of Galilee, you get that that's a lake, right? It's a lake. You can see across it. It is Probably not even as big as many of the reservoirs we have around here. So you have the, that they called that the sea. You have to it four miles by seven miles? Sure, I'll take that. So that's not very big, right? We so you have this relatively small body of water. So when they want to describe something powerful and crazy, they would look, because they're right on the border of the Mediterranean, which is, Kind of small for an ocean, but it's bigger than the Sea of Galilee, right? And it acts like a real, it acts like a real ocean. So they look at that, and they're like, man, that's, that's power. That's scary place. That's uncontrollable, right? So they look at all that stuff. So he's saying, Lord, all of these things are happening. There's circumstances around us. That's the picture. And then he says in verse 4, But the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. So he's saying, But look, even in my circumstances, a crazy big wave's gonna take me out. This is the wave that's gonna get me. The Bible says God's bigger than the wave. He's mightier than the storm. In fact, earlier in the Psalms, we, we realized that only Yahweh, only Jehovah can calm the waves. Remember? The Psalms declared. Only Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, can calm the waves. What did Jesus do to the storm? He calmed it, right? Remember the disciples freaking out? Whoa! Why? Because it's a proclamation of who he is. Remember? Everything is about God being able to, to show you an attribute, a part of his character. And so we see this described. God's bigger than the storm, bigger than the circumstances in your life. And then, verse 5, and God always keeps his word. It says, your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. That word testimonies. when we get to Psalm 119 in a couple of weeks, and we look at Psalm 119, every verse, Psalm 119, is dealing with the word of God. But they're going to describe the word of God a lot of different ways. One of the words that's going to be used to describe the word of God is the testimonies. The testimonies of God. It's a way of describing God's word. Look, your words is very sure. Very sure. God's promises are absolute guarantee we can hold fast. To those promises of God. Because his word is sure. Because he is the king from all eternity. bigger, Big enough to hold the whole world together. No matter how big the storm of our circumstances is. He's bigger than the waves. And he can say peace be still. And it all will be quiet. Because his word. His promises. His testimony. It's sure. Jesus said this phrase. When he was talking to the to the, to the uh, disciples, when we were looking at the All that discourse, we spent a lot of time talking about the generation shall not pass away and, and all that stuff, which was cool, but I didn't get a chance to really hammer on this idea. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away until all these things are fulfilled. You realize how big a statement that is? He doesn't say not one jot or tittle of this word, which is what he's talking about anyway. But he says, my word. It's, not, it's all going to be fulfilled. Again, a strong proclamation. I'm God in the flesh. I have power. You can't even begin to understand. Even though you were there the day I said, Lazarus, come forth. Only God can raise the dead. Even, when you were, even though you were there that day when I made a little spit and put it on a guy's eyes and he could see, only God, the Bible says, can open the eyes of the blind. Only God, Jehovah, only Yahweh. Even though you were there that day, the leper walked up to me and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I reached over and touched him and made him clean. Only Yahweh, only Jehovah can cleanse the leper. All throughout his ministry, he was proclaiming who he is. That he is the king eternal. That he's bigger than the storm. And his word is a guarantee. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, to study, to take a look at the Psalms, to, to allow your word to take root. In our lives, God, that you might teach us, that you might help us grow, that we might be established, Lord, that we would be like a palm tree, growing tall and straight, headed towards you, looking towards you, our eyes set on you, that we might be like the cedar, strong, but not strong in ourselves, strong in the Lord, because you have given us this power, because you pour out in our lives that fresh anointing to help us to be who you're asking us to be. Because you want us to know that we are going to defeat our enemy. For you did at the cross. And we fight from victory for victory. So God, I pray that we would just realize what it is you're laying out for us. And walk in that place. That we would have eyes for the King Eternal. We already have a Savior. We already have a Messiah. We don't need another one. We just need to hold fast to what God has given us, the power he has bestowed upon us, the anointing that he has breathed into us, and fulfill the purpose for which we were born, to make disciples, to share the good news of who Jesus Christ is. God, I pray that you be glorified and magnified in this place, for we seek to honor you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One day